Well, this summer we're in the middle of a series called entitled Life Together, and we're really looking at uh, what Jesus said when he was on earth about how we can live life together and live it really for the Lord and also for you know, living in his kingdom as a part of his kingdom. But then we're also looking at words that come from the early church leaders that are really the letters that are in the New Testament and their instructions to early Christians in the early church about how do we live this life together as the body of Christ who remains here on earth and, and lives out the mission that God calls us to and to do it in a way that honors God and, and really honors each other as brothers and sisters in Christ and then also demonstrates the compelling love of Christ to a world that really ne- needs to know and wants to know uh, about who God is and what he's all about. Many years ago, Robert Fulgham wrote a book entitled, All I Really Need to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. How many of you read that book? It was a pretty popular book a number of years ago. And it was his way of sharing that uh, the things that we he thought we need to know in order to live a successful life, so many of those things we learn when we're in kindergarten. I'm going to share a few of his big picture concepts for you this morning, see if you can think about these things or remember them. He, so he suggested these things that we learned in kindergarten are going to help us in life. One is share everything. Play fair. Don't hit people. That's an important one to follow. Put things back where you found them. My wife's going to take this list and put it in my dresser in the morning. Clean up your own mess. Don't take things that aren't yours. Say you're sorry when you hurt somebody. And one of my favorites that he he actually shared was take a nap every afternoon, right? That's a good one. He actually had about a half dozen more. I'm not going to share all of them with you this morning. But I want to teach you this morning something that I think all of us need to know, that the, the most important lesson in life. Robert Fulgham, he gives some really good advice from that book, but if you were to come to me and say, hey, Pastor Wes, uh, what do I need to know to really be a successful person? I'm going to look at you and say, what you need, all you need is love. Now, the Beatles, that's a song the Beatles wrote many years ago, All You Need Is Love. And I'm not really talking about the kind of love that the Beatles were singing about Uh, I'm talking about a love that we have that comes only from God. I'm not talking about the the love that the world so often demonstrates to us. I'm not talking about a love that's fleeting or a love, you know, that we discover with a first boyfriend or girlfriend. Uh, The kind of love I'm talking about, again, only comes from God. It's an unconditional love. And as we learn God's love and we experience God's love and what it means and what it is and how it can be used in our lives, we're going to be successful in everything that we do. I can't stand up here today in front of you and say that I fully understand and have experienced God's love and, and understand it all the way. Or that I really even understand how I can then live out that love in all of my relationships, in every situation. I, I still have so much to learn about God's love and how to love as God loves me and loves us. And I think by far it's, it's probably the most complicated word in the English language. And when we're growing up, I think we understand, we think we understand what love is. And I remember my first girlfriend. You know, it was a day much like today, and it was the first day of my third grade class. I sat down at my desk, and Rebecca walked into the classroom, and she had her brand new Happy Days lunchbox, and she was really cute, and I thought, oh, she's the one, she's the one, I know, she's the one. Now you're laughing. You think, third grade, that's impossible. But you know, some of us are more mature than others of you, and so... I know that you think it's weird, but it's true. But she was my first love, and I, I wasn't ready for commitment. I, I admit it now. I figured that out. So our relationship didn't actually last very long. In fact, she made me choose. It's either your baseball cards or me, and I said, see ya, because 
You know, she wasn't going to come between me and the baseball cards. And so, again, you know, we grow up thinking that we know when we're in love. And I'm sure at one time or another, if we're adults, many of us uh, were in some kind of relationship where we thought we really loved the person we were dating only to come to a realization that we really, we really didn't love them. And love is complex at its best. And we spend our lives thinking we can grasp it and understand what it means and how it works. But in reality, we have no idea. If we, would, if we even begin to want to understand the word love, we have to know God. God is love. That's what the passage told us. Love, love in the world is almost always conditional, right? It's usually based on fulfilling someone's needs. Um, if I'm a part of this world, then, then I'm going to love you until you hurt me or until you let me down or until you lie to me or until you fail me. I'm going to love you if you're meeting my needs when I need them. Jesus was God in flesh. And he demonstrated the reality of God's love, his sacrificial, unconditional love for all. He, Jesus loved all unconditionally, even those who the religious leaders felt like were not, uh, not to be loved or they were to be avoided, like tax collectors and prostitutes and people even from different races like Samaritans. And this love was so radical that it got Jesus in trouble with the religious leaders. And ultimately, it got him uh, crucified on the cross. And the night before he was crucified, he told his followers, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. What a powerful statement from Jesus to his disciples. And that command is not only to his disciples at that moment, 2,000 years ago, it's for all of his followers, to us today. I command you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And the disciples knew that this is a different kind of love. They had seen Jesus in action. And yet, the day later, they saw this love most radically lived out as Jesus went to the cross and and died on the cross for all of us, for our sins. Love expressed in a way the world has never known before. And Jesus says, it's this command is for all who follow him. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. John, I think in his letter, the letter that was read this morning, his first letter, with this passage really brings more clearly into view just how God's love is different from the world and from the world's love. So I'm going to want us to just kind of walk back through that passage this morning. And so if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open up to 1 John beginning in chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. And we're called to love because God is love. And John says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. I think the poetry of John's language doesn't come out very well in the translation where it says, Dear friends, let us love one another. Really, very simply, it ought to say, Beloved, let us be loving. His logic's pretty simple. In his very essence, God is love. Therefore, if we claim to follow God, we should love, right? If we meet someone who claims to know God and yet teaches or shows hate or disregard for any person that God has ever created in his image, you need to know that they do not know God. But God wants us to know that he defines himself by his love. Just like you can't find a source for love apart from God, you'll never understand the beauty of God's character outside of the element of his love. 
integral to his majestic being is his love. His love for you and for me is termed agape in the New Testament Greek. And this agape is a relentless, sacrificial, committed love dedicated to the well-being of every person that God has ever created, that God loves. And to know God is to experience that sort of love that God gives to us. And God defines himself by it. The love that God is and the love that we're supposed to have and show between each other, it's not just an affectionate feeling that we have for somebody that we like. The love that God is is not just some feeling. It's not just some concept. God's love is not just even his character. It is his action. In fact, you cannot separate his love from his action. I went on a mission trip uh, a number of years ago to Juarez, Mexico, and I was serving at a feeding station that was literally right next to the city dump in Juarez. And the reason it was there is because there are thousands of people in Juarez, Mexico, that actually live in the city dump. They live there. They try to survive there. And it's it's just a great place for people to come and to get food resources. And there was a card that was pinned to the wall that was a quote from Mother Teresa that said, It is not enough to be compassionate. You must act. And in his love, God is not just compassionate toward us. He acts. He does something in his love for us. Going on in verse 9 and 10, uh, John talks about how God's love for us is demonstrated in the incarnation, in the cross for sinners. And John writes, he says, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. God's love moves for you, moves him. It's what causes him to go into action. I have a friend who used to take his children skiing when they were younger every winter. He and his wife would take their kids skiing. They had three kids. And uh, he told me the story one time about they had gone to Colorado to go skiing and and his kids were pretty good skiers, and they had a really nice, long uh, beginner slope on one of the mountains that the kids loved. And, and he said that, you know, his wife really loved to go shopping in Breckenridge. And so he said, well, one day, he said to her, he goes, why don't you go shopping in Breckenridge? He says, I'll take the kids skiing tomorrow. We'll just stay on that beginner slope the whole way. It'll be okay. Don't worry about us. Go shopping. Go have fun. And so he took the kids. His wife went shopping. They went skiing. And what he had failed to remember was on that long uh, beginner slope, at the very towards the very end of the beginner slope, there was a fork, and you could go either left or right. But there was a different chairlift at either side of that fork. And he said what he didn't realize was that one son went left and the other son went right, and he had a decision to make. All of a sudden, he had to choose which son am I going to go find and ride up the chairlift with, and which son am I going to leave and hope that he can make it up the other chairlift and we'll find each other at the top of the mountain. And he said the rest of his day was like living in anxiety every time they came to the fork in the ski slope. And he said it was the worst day of skiing he's ever had in his life. He's never let his wife go shopping uh, without him, uh, you know, without helping him with the kids anymore. And he said he finally came to the realization that a 10-year-old daughter who was the oldest child, and he finally said, okay, you go right and be with that child, and I'll go left and be with that child. And he said it was still crazy when I'm thinking that my 10-year-old daughter is the one who I'm going to allow to be responsible for my younger son. This is how God showed his love for us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. God didn't just send one of his older children down the ski hill to go fetch one of his other kids. He sent his one and only son as a baby 
vulnerable to grow up and to fetch all of us into His kingdom. He doesn't just send His Son to fetch us. He sends Him to be sacrificed on the cross to pay the price for everything that we've done wrong so that we can come home, so that we can be reconciled to God. He sent His Son to die. He sent Jesus not because we loved Him so much and wanted to be with Him. He sent Him before we loved Him. Not that we love God, but that He loved us. God is not just compassionate. He acts. He sacrifices His only Son so that we might have life. And He goes on in verse 11. He says, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. We're called to love like God has loved us. And our love for each other should be like God's love for us. Not just an affectionate love, but an active love. Not action that is worth nothing to us, but actually that is sacrificial. If love costs us nothing, then it's not truly God's love. The Beatles got it wrong in that song, All You Need Is Love. And one of their, one of their phrases that they sang over and over again is, It's easy. It's easy. It's not easy. It's not easy. It's costly. It's hard at times to love the way that God has loved us. The early Christians recognized this. In, in Acts chapter 2, it tells about how they sold uh, pieces of their own property, their land, their possessions, in order to buy food to feed other believers so that they had enough food. God's love is costly and it's sacrificial and it's given without surety of a positive response. You know, 29 years ago, uh, I, I emptied my bank account and even put some extra charges on a credit card to buy a diamond ring to ask Diane to marry me. And I was pretty sure that she was going to say yes. We dated for four years. We'd, uh, we'd actually talked about what life would be like if we got married. She'd been pretty positive in those conversations. I felt pretty good that, you know, she was going to say yes when I asked her. Paul tells us in the New Testament that God loved us and he sent his only son to die for us while we were enemies. He was no way insure, he was no way sure of our response to his action of love. Our love is to be that same love. That's the kind of love that Jesus is talking about. Jesus says, what good is it, is it if you love people who, who are going to love you back? Don't even the pagans do that. Instead, love those who might not even be able to show you love or to return that love to you. John goes on in verse 12, and he, he says, No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. And this is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit, and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them, and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. God's love is not just costly, but it's intimate. He gives us His Spirit as a demonstration of His love. If God's love was only shown through Jesus on the cross, on His death on the cross, it'd be amazing. It'd be out of this world. It's a love that we've never seen before. But it would have been distant to us. It was 2,000 years ago. And although it's fantastic and it's more love than we could ever imagine or expect, God's love is not only shown in the one act 2,000 years ago, God's love is not only shown in giving His only Son, but God's love is also shown in Him sending His Spirit to live with us and in us. He gives us His Spirit as an act of love. 
And what Jesus did on the cross 2,000 years ago gave us the possibility of reconciliation with God. The Holy Spirit is the reality of that reconciliation. God comes and He moves in. He doesn't just move into the neighborhood. He doesn't just move into our house. He moves into you. He moves into us. What God did is even more intimate than a marriage relationship. It's not just body-to-body intimacy or soul-to-soul or spirit-to-spirit. It's His Spirit teaches our spirit that we are well-loved children of the Father. And He whispers in our ear, God is your Father. You can call Him Abba, which translated to us as Daddy. We can call God our Daddy. A very intimate term. And John goes on in verse 16, he says, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. And this is how love is made complete among us so that we will have the confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Love, to love is to be like Jesus. We're called to love like Jesus with no fear. Jesus loved others purely with no fear. Even though he, he got in trouble because his love was so radical, he still loved with no fear. Our, our, our religion is not a fear-based religion like voodoo or like other religions where we have to placate a God to make, in order to make them happy and so that we don't get in trouble. Our faith is a love-based faith that says that God loves you. And you don't have to jump through hoops to please Him. He's already pleased enough to die for you, to live in you through the gift of His Holy Spirit. You don't have to earn this. You, you've already got it. God hasn't, He doesn't have a bullet on your, with your name on it. He's written your name on the palm of His hand. He's not leaving you. He's not going to leave me. He's, he's written Wes on a tattoo on His hand. He's going to stay with us. And hold us and love us moving forward. John goes on in verse 19 and tells us that love is really the core of our faith. He says, we love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or a sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom, who they, whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. You know, there are so many things that are key to our faith. You know, truth and right beliefs and morality and right action and justice and so many other things. And all these things are right and they are key, but our faith ends and begins with love. All these other things lose their meaning if there is not love at the very core of who we are and what we're about. And if it's not surrounded by love and not done in love and through God's love. Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it's a really... Very well-known passage, and if you've been to a wedding, you've probably heard this passage read out loud. The passage wasn't actually written for people who are getting married. It was written for the body of Christ. It was written for us to remind us of the very importance of love, the foundation of our faith. And in that passage, Paul says, basically, if I have faith to move mountains, a tremendous faith, if I give everything that I have to the poor, if I give all that I have possessed to the poor, if I do those things but I don't have love, then I, I don't have anything. I gain nothing. It's as simple as John writes. The love that we have for each other comes from God. But if we do not show love to each other, then how can we say that we love God when that love is supposed to come from Him? 
Once again, love is not a feeling or an affection. It's a compassion acted upon. It's an active love. It's a sacrificial love. It's a love that costs us something. It's not an easy love. It's a hard love. But it's amazing love. It's a beautiful love. It's a love that leads us to relationships with both with our Father but also with each other that go beyond anything that our world can actually offer. It's a kingdom love, a, God, a kingdom of God kind of love. Again, dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. God, we thank you for your love that is giving, your love that is sacrificial, that is costly, your love that extended the gift of your Son, his life and his death on the cross for our lives, for our sins, for our failures. God, that is a love that is such a different kind of love than we know from this world. And we're grateful. And God, we're grateful that your Holy Spirit resides in us as we live in Christ. And that your Holy Spirit is helping us to to experience that love that comes from you in a way that we can love others like you love us. God, we know that that love only comes from you. It doesn't come from anything that we can do on our own. And God, there's so much more work that your Spirit can do in our lives and in our church to help us truly live and love the way you love us. But God, our, our, our desire is we want to be faithful to that commandment that Jesus gave to all of his disciples to love one another as he has loved us so we may love one another. God, we humbly submit ourselves to you, inviting you to continue to be at work, bringing transformation, bringing about this kind of love that has such a huge impact in our lives, but also in the lives of others, in the lives of those that are in this world. God, help our love to really be a testimony to others, demonstrating that, that, that you are real and that your love is so valuable. God, that would be our prayer. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.